Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. Thanks so much. You may have a seat. And let me share with you a couple of things that are going on in the life of our church that I want you to be aware of. First of all, Trav's Coats for Kids. We do not need you to bring coats here. This is a community-wide effort. People will take their coats to Yale Cleaners. But we are the distribution point, our two caring center locations, downtown at 61st and Mingo. And so if you have the opportunity to, with your community group or as an individual or with a work group that you want to serve, we need plenty of volunteers to, to serve in that area. Uh, church business meeting today, right after this worship gathering, we have lunch for $4. We're going to talk about our budget for the upcoming year and some building proposals, and so all of that will be on the docket this afternoon, right after our time finishes. Uh, coffee with the pastor next Sunday at 9.45. So here's what we do at 9.45 in our cafe, and I'm going to ask you to sign up for this. You can sign up online or through the app, but I just spend a little time. Usually there's about 10 or 12 people or so in the pastor's coffee let you know a little bit about who we are as a church, what we believe, what our mission is to glorify God. It also gives you a chance to meet some newer folks coming into the church, and so it gives us an opportunity to get to know one another. And so I would invite you, if you're looking at joining, to be a part of that Pastor's Coffee next Sunday, and please sign up for that if you would. And then please uh, pay attention to surviving the holidays. If you have lost a loved one or you have somebody who you know that they are grieving right now. This is a great opportunity, so be aware of that. And then I know I've been cryptic enough about this over the, the last few weeks, but I'm asking you to be here in person next week for a conversation that we're going to have. I don't know what else to call it, but I'm kind of calling it a come to Jesus or a come back to Jesus time, especially if you have not seen somebody. And I'm going to ask our ministerial staff this, this week to pay attention to people we have not seen maybe in years. Would you reach out to them this week? and invite them to join you for in-person worship next Sunday morning, October 30th. So I'm going to ask you to turn with me to the book of Acts, please. Book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Book of Acts is right after the four Gospels. Every time I'm in the early chapters of Acts, and we'll be in Acts 4 today, I think of poor Henry Dempsey. Henry Dempsey was a commuter airline pilot between Portland, Maine, and Boston, Massachusetts, and one day shortly after takeoff, he heard an unusual noise near the rear of the aircraft, so he turned the controls over to the co-pilot and made his way back. When he got to the rear of the aircraft, he discovered the source of the unusual noise. The back door had not been properly latched prior to takeoff, and so attempting to secure it, he was actually sucked out of the plane. Now, the co-pilot, seeing the lights on, hearing the noise, knew what had happened, signaled for a search to begin over that area of the ocean, turned around, landed the plane. When the plane was landed, they discovered Henry Dempsey. He wasn't in the ocean. In the moment that he was sucked out of that airplane, he managed to hold on to the exterior ladder. And there for 20 minutes, traveling at 200 miles an hour, 7,000 feet in the air, he held on for dear life. Now, here's the best part of the story. When the plane landed, he had to keep his head from hitting the runway that was just inches away. But when they finally arrived, Henry Dempsey was safe. It took them about 10 minutes to pry his hand off the rungs of that ladder, and you would understand why, right? So he hung on for dear life, determined not to let go. Now, the reason I think of him every time I begin reading Acts, Luke is the author, 
Luke writes the gospel of Jesus. He then writes part two, how Jesus, what he continued to do through his people called the church. And in the early parts of the book of Acts, everything is great. Jesus ascends to the Father. The Holy Spirit descends on his people. And it says at the end of Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves. The early church hung on to two things, the breaking of bread and the prayer. Now, the breaking of bread there refers to communion. So they held on to God. They held on to one another and they held on to prayer. They were not going to let go as though their lives depended on it. But it's one thing to hold on to those items when the skies are clear and the horizon and the weather is smooth. But what happens? At the end of Acts chapter 2, it says the church was enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Life was on cruise control. It was perfect. And then turbulence hit. Now, it all started rather innocently enough. Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, they go up to the temple to pray. They there see a man who needs healing, and so they heal him. A party begins to break out, and pretty soon the disciples who are teaching in the name of Jesus are called before the Sanhedrin. Now, the Sanhedrin was the very group that put Jesus to death. And you can imagine there's a little bit of spiritual PTSD on this to say this is the group that put Jesus to death, as they begin to interrogate Peter and John, they say, you know what we're capable of doing. Do not speak anymore in the name of Jesus. Now, my favorite word in Acts chapter 4, when the Sanhedrin is interrogating the disciples, they said they noticed they were uneducated men, but they had been with Jesus. That word for uneducated, it's a word you might recognize, idiotai. They look like a bunch of idiots on the surface. But something about being with Jesus had been transformative. So here's why this is important for us today. And we're going to look at a, at a passage at the end of Acts chapter 4. This is the longest recorded passage of prayer. This is the longest recorded prayer of the church in the New Testament. The reason that this is important is for the early church, times they were a change in. It was going from a day when the sailing was smooth to now there was turbulence, and they had to decide what they were going to hang on to. I think the same is true for us. We're in a transition time right now. We are moving away from a Christian culture, and I want to use some scare quotes around that because I don't think culture can be Christian. It's individuals who are Christians, but we're moving away from Christian culture to a post-Christian culture. The times for Christians will get a little more challenging, a little more difficult, and we need to decide what we're going to hold on to for dear life. So this is Acts chapter 4, and we're just going to walk through this, starting in verse 23. On their release from the Sanhedrin, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, I have two questions as we kind of ease into this. First question is, if church leaders were called before a group and interrogated, and we were released, and we came back to the church, what's the first thing that we would do? Probably the first thing we would do is we would file a protest, either with the city officials or we would protest and would complain among one another. we start a social media push, something to say, we've been treated unfairly. If we didn't protest, then we certainly would start a program. 
We say, we need to start a Bible study on how to handle four easy steps to handle, you know, troubling times or whatever, but we'd probably start a program. The church doesn't protest. They don't start a program. Look what they do. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, reported this. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Now, here's my second question. If we got past the protesting and the programs and we decided that we would pray, what would we pray for? Beyond a shadow of a doubt, this is how we would pray. God, you got to keep us safe. God, you got to protect us from all the mean people out there. Okay. This is important because we are in a transition time of moving away from a Christian culture to a post-Christian culture. We need to think less in terms of entitlement and more in terms of adventure and engagement. And maybe that means that we endanger ourselves just a little bit. Okay. So this is, this is a, a shift. This is a change. We'll come back to this idea of praying for safety here in just a moment because I believe it's become an idol for us. So notice, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, let's just walk through what they prayed for. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. It's interesting here that the word they use for God, again, this word is going to sound familiar, it's Greek, but we've pulled it into our English language. It's the word despota, where we get our word despot from. They call God a despot, but not with the negative connotations. It's this idea that God, you control everything. You made everything. You made the things that we can't see, heaven, you made the things we can see, earth, and you even made those things that are beyond our control. When it talks about God being the creator of earth, of, of land and sea, land is secure. We like that, right? But for the Hebrew people, the sea was an uncertain place. It was a chaotic place. So, God, you made the things we can't see. You made what we can see. You made even the things we can't control. But we know that you are in control of all of them. In fact, Luke only uses this word despota twice in all of his writings. One was at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. He puts it on the lips of Zechariah, who's the father of John the Baptist, when he finds out he's going to be a dad in his late age, and he calls God Sovereign Lord. And here he puts it on the lips of the early church. What's the similarity? Whether it's an old man or a young church, they say, God, we don't know what's going on. We don't understand it, but we trust you. We don't understand what's happening, but we trust you. What do they pray for? They pray for God's presence. They don't pray to be safe. They pray to be in God's presence and to experience God's presence as a community and as individuals. So those people who develop technology, they talk about reducing friction. This won't make sense at first, just follow me, but reducing friction between us and our devices. They want to make it as easy as possible for us to slip into using our devices. And here's the best illustration I could give. You remember back in the old days, like 2012? <laughs> you would pick up your iPhone, okay? The iPhone was about five years old at that point. And to open your iPhone, you would every time have to type in a passcode, okay? Some of you don't even remember this, right? 
But every time you pick it up, you'd have to type in a four or six digit passcode. Well, then iPhone developers said, that's too much friction. That's, that's too much trouble. So we want to make it easier. And so what happened now is they used that home button that iPhones used to have. Some of you don't even remember that. Some of you never had that. You're still using the flip phone, all right? Which, you know, shame on you for being uncool, right? So you'd have this little button, you just put your thumb there and it would unlock the iPhone. That was miraculous, it reduced friction. But then developers said, well, that's not good enough. Let's just have it now where you just look at your phone. You just look at it and it unlocks it and it decreases that friction between you and your device. What is gonna be next? Pretty soon I'll just have to think about my phone and it'll pop on, right? Which will be all the time, right? Reducing that friction, listen. This is the essence of prayer. God said, I've made this as frictionless as possible. All you need to do is say, Father, and you're in my presence. Maybe that would be your prayer this week. Just that one word, wherever you are, whatever's going, just to pray for the presence of God in your life. Maybe the next time you feel unsafe, instead of praying for safety, you pray for His presence. So, they pray for God's presence. Then they pray for perspective. I'm trying not to alliterate this morning, but it's just kind of happening. Verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. And they quote Psalm 2 here, and I'll get to why they quote Psalm 2 in just a moment. Why do the nations rage? and the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up, the rulers band together against the Lord and against His anointed one. Indeed, now they're replaying history, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. So after they pray for God's presence, they pray for some perspective on this matter. Let me use another technical or technological illustration. There's a new jacket that's been introduced called Like a Hug Jacket. Has anybody seen these jackets? Okay, maybe one or two. So this jacket, it connects by Wi-Fi to your device. And it, you can connect it to your social media accounts. So the next time you post something to Facebook, Whenever somebody likes your comment, the jacket inflates to simulate a hug. This is the saddest jacket in the history of humanity, right? And then what you can do is you can hug the jacket back and it will confirm that you've received that message on social media. So just a note of perspective, we live in a lonely world, don't we? And an inflatable jacket's not gonna help you know what? God's given us two really good things to hug people. It's called arms. If you need a hug, come up to me today. I will give you a hug. Okay. I'll make it creepy and uncomfortable. No, <laughs> probably shouldn't say that, but you know what? If you need a hug, just ask for one. And if, here's the deal. If we ever see somebody come into the church and they're wearing a like a hug jacket, let's all agree we're going to dogpile them. Let's just all get around them and start hugging them one right after another, and they will run out of here scared. Why do we create a device that we have these for? We need to put this in perspective of loneliness. So, the church prays perspective over itself. It says, this is the way the world's always been. Not poor me, not the world is being unfair to us as Christians. 
David, even back in Psalm 2, when he was appointed and anointed as king, there were many contenders. There was much controversy. God had anointed him. Let him be king. Why do the nations rage? Well, they do. Even applied to Jesus. Jesus was not crucified for being a nice guy. Jesus was crucified by the political and religious forces of his day for one reason. They could not control him. That's what politics and religion have in common. Control. They want to control people's actions and beliefs and behaviors. And Jesus said, when the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. So if that's how they treated Jesus, why in the world would we ever think that the world is going to treat us different? So here's what the early church did. They offered perspective, and they said, you know what? It's how they treated Jesus. It's the way the world's always been. This is how they're going to treat us. They decided not to take trouble personally. They decided to deal with it prayerfully. That's worth repeating. The trouble in life, they didn't take it personally, but they dealt with it prayerfully. This is the way the world's always been. And this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Not entitlement, but a sense of adventure. So they pray for God's presence. They pray for perspective, which they have. Verse 29. Uh, verse 29 really is the key verse in this entire passage. It's, it's just packed. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Consider their threats. This goes all the way back to 2 Kings chapter 19. King Hezekiah, if you don't know his name, if you don't know the history, it's not a big deal, but he was a king in Israel. He received hate mail from the king of Babylon saying, we're going to come in, we're going to destroy you. Here's what Hezekiah did. He took that letter into the temple, rolled it out before God, and said, God, I need you to see this. What a great way to respond the next time you get a negative email or hate mail to take it and put it before God and say, God, I want you to see what we're facing here. They take everything the Sanhedrin said and they roll it out before God. And then, God, you see all these threats. Now, enable us to speak with boldness. Let's have a candid conversation for just a moment. There's a lot of things we idolize in our culture. We idolize money. That's been around for a long time. That's not a surprise. Life is this continual challenge to value Jesus more than money. We idolize power. People will do anything to hold on to power. And sometimes we, we value power more than Jesus. It becomes an idol. Here's one, and I don't think I've ever stated it like this before. We idolize things we do with our pelvis. Look at all the controversies and challenges we are having today, dividing denominations, dividing families. In fact, people will define their entire being based on what they do with their pelvis. If I'm not mistaken, there's only one way we should define ourselves, and that is by our relationship with God. Amen. So we have idolized the pelvis. Boy, that sounds really weird to say, doesn't it? But here's another thing that we idolize. Safety. Think about it. Almost without us knowing it, we have become a culture that idolizes safety over all else. One of the best books I've ever read is by Edwin Freeman. It's called Failure of Nerve. Now, I'm not going to recommend this book because it's pretty weighty. It's challenging. It's kind of academic. So don't 
pick it up thinking it's going to be a quick read and then blame me later on. It's tough. It's tough going. But here's what he says, and he wrote this in the 1990s. And just to put this in perspective, this is a long time ago, but listen to what he says. This focus on safety has become so omnipresent in our chronically anxious civilization that there's a real danger we will come to believe that safety is the most important value of life. If leaders are to arise, then safety can never be allowed to become more important than adventure. If leaders are to arise, then safety can never be allowed to become more important than adventure. We are on our way to becoming a nation of skimmers, living off the risks of previous generations and constantly taking from the top without adding significantly to its essence. Everything we enjoy as part of our advanced civilization, including discovery, exploration, development, came about because some previous generation made adventure more important than safety. Just think about this. If adventure is important for a nation, how much more important is it for the church? Not to embrace safety, but to embrace adventure. God, help us to speak your word with great boldness. I was very careful this morning when we prayed for our folks going to Jordan. I did not pray for safety. I prayed for boldness. Now, does this mean it's wrong to pray for safety? No. We trust God to take care of us, and we trust that even when we're not safe, everything that happens will bring about Christ in us. What we need to be praying for now more than anything is boldness, to be bold in the way that we live. Listen, if you talk to soldiers who really know what they're talking about, they say, you know, the guy that got injured or killed was the guy trying to save his life. It was me that I went forward, that I engaged, that was actually the key to survival. If you talk to athletes, in fact, Michael Jordan said, I was never injured because I never played at half speed. He never played to reduce injury. He just played full on. In fact, Jesus said this, didn't he? The one who wants to save his life will lose it. But the one who loses his life for me will actually be the safest of all. We need to be praying for boldness. And then here's what they they prayed, and it, it... struck me as a little bit odd when I read this for the first time. Consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand. God, here's what we're asking you to do. Stretch out your hand to heal. All this problem started with a healing, to perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. In other words, God, we're doubling down. We want you to heal people. We want you to, to Produce some change in people's life that cannot be explained away. We want to show signs that cannot be ignored, and we want to see wonders that cannot be fabricated. God, would you do what you do and help us to be who we are called to be, and that is bold. And God answered. Notice what happens. After they prayed, the place where their meeting was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the Word of God boldly. So here's just three walkaways today. This is the church's longest recorded prayer. Where we would do anything other than pray, they did nothing else but pray. Where we would pray for safety, they prayed for strength. They prayed for boldness, right? 
They prayed for God's power. They prayed for God's presence. They prayed for perspective. So here's three walkaways. Number one, God knew exactly what he was doing when he assigned you to live at this place and this moment in history. We live in some really challenging times right now, and a lot of people are just scared to death. You need to know that God knew exactly what he was doing to have you live in this moment of his history on this planet. I was reminded this week of Herb Brooks, who was the, the coach for the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. And he was criticized by his players' uh, selection of people that he put on the Olympic team. And he said this. He said, I, I did not choose the best players. I chose the right players. So maybe we look around and we go, I'm not the best person that's ever lived on the planet, but you are right for this time. Trust in the providence of God. Second walk away is this, that the same Holy Spirit that was available to the disciples is available to us. And we need to be very careful about idolizing safety over boldness. So I'm going to pick on you here a little bit. Um, some of us have a greater loyalty to our football teams than we do Jesus. <laughs> Lori, me thinks that does protest too much. <laughs> some of us have more loyalty to our political party than we do to Jesus. Now, there's nothing wrong with being loyal. Listen, I'm not going to yuck your yum. If you like a certain team, if, except if it's OSU, I mean, other than that, it's fine. <laughs> if you like a certain political party, that's fine. But let's make sure that our loyalty goes first and foremost to Jesus Christ and Him alone. Anything else is idolatry, and I think we need to be very careful of idolizing safety over adventure. Let's ask God for boldness. And here's the final point. Well, I guess I already made it. Our loyalty belongs only to Jesus. There's a man by the name of uh, William Fale. William Fale went to the University of Alabama. By the way, um, wow, I thought I knew how rampant college football would be, and then I lived in Alabama for a couple of years. Wow. William Fale went to the University of Alabama. He became a banker. He attributed much of his success to what he learned in college, and so he wanted to thank his university by giving a large donation. And you know what happens when you make a large donation? They want to name a building after you. But who wants to go to the William Fale business building? I mean, <laughs> probably not the best thing to do, right? So they cast about for years trying to find the perfect way to honor the donor. <laughs> Finally, what they came up with is they remodeled the visitor's locker room at the University of Arkansas Stadium. The fail visitor's locker room. Is that not perfect? <laughs> the unforgivable sin in our culture is failure. And because we fear failure, we're tempted to play it safe. But instead of playing it safe, we are called to play it bold and to play it loyal to Jesus and Jesus alone. Anything else is idolatry. Amen. Let's give our loyalty to him and ask for strength that he would put iron into our souls as we live for him. Let's stand together. Let's pray together.
So yeah, God, we do live in a time where safety is idolized, and I have no doubt that if we were put in the same position in Acts 4, we would, our instinct, our training would be to pray for safety. Well, that's just not the world we live in. This is not a safe place. So we can either be afraid or we can be bold. So I ask for your presence over us. I ask for perspective over our lives. I ask for your power that can only come by means of the Holy Spirit. We cannot generate this in and of ourselves. We need your Holy Spirit to fall on us, to indwell us, to empower us, to give us fortitude, to live at a very challenging time in history. And most of all, help us to be loyal only to you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, who we call Lord, that we offer our prayer. Amen. I'm asking you to be bold today. Perhaps you've never committed your loyalty to Jesus Christ. You're not going to find boldness in yourself. We find it only in Christ. Today, if you know you need a church home, if you know you need to say yes to Jesus, if you know that you need to get life right with God, I want you to be bold and I want you to respond. If you have never publicly confessed your faith in Christ, and we do this here by baptism, and you saw Colin baptized here a few moments ago. I loved, did you catch the phrase that he used? He said, I felt Jesus pressing in on my heart. That's a great, that's a great picture. If you have felt that, if you are feeling that right now, I want to invite you to make a decision right now. In fact, you can be baptized this morning. We have everything you need here. We, we can gather some people around. You can make a public profession of Christ that your loyalty belongs only to Him. And we do this with boldness. And so while we sing, I want to invite you to worship here for a few moments. If you need to make a decision, you walk right out these back doors. You cross our corridor. I'll be in the follow-up room here in about 30 seconds. You can meet me there, and let's talk and pray about whatever decision you need to make. Let's worship. Let's sing. You can respond right now. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.